Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, Executive Editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Gordon Van Zyden joins us from Los Gatos, California, where he is owner of Cyber Manor, one of the true thought leaders in the custom integration business. Gordon is a longtime industry friend, a former writer of mine, and a frequent industry educator and presenter over the years. Gordon, thanks for joining me today. It's been great to see you again. Thanks very much, Jeremy. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to catch up with you. So here's the thing. I um, have obviously been an editor for a couple of trade magazines for the past 20 plus years, about the length of time that you've been in business at Cyber Manor. And I've always really um, prided myself on finding great industry writers. I don't feel like I am the best technical expert. So I reach out to those who are and people who are doing this type of thing um, every day in their lives. So there's a lot of great information and intel that comes from the things that they write for me. I thought for sure that I found you and I recruited you. And then I was listening to a conversation you had on on a different uh um, audio stream. And you mentioned that your time with residential systems started when Jeff Hoover rec recruited you. Um, so my memory was, was faulty on that, but I'm so glad that he found you. Uh, do you remember that, that experience of finding out that someone wanted you to take their place as a columnist? I remember very, very clearly. Uh, I had gotten to know Jeff Hoover from, um, uh, audio advisors out of Florida. Right. Uh, back when I first started Cyber Manor in 99, 2000 timeframe, uh, he, uh, himself, myself, Joe Piccarelli, and a number of others uh, were on a, a kind of a consulting group for Cisco back then. Oh, okay. Uh, and Cisco was looking at the Internet Home Alliance uh, and seeing what Cisco could do to promote uh, more bandwidth, essentially, and products in the residential sector. Obviously, they had been in a commercial enterprise, but this was before Linksys and all the things. So they were actually developing their own residential gateway. And because uh, Jeff and Joe and I was begin, I had IT experience. Uh, we were brought on during those early days to help give them some advice as to what might happen in the home sector. So that's how I got to know Jeff Hoover and uh, sat in on some classes of his and. Uh, he mentioned to me that after a couple years of writing for residential systems, he was just kind of running out of ideas of things to write about for the networking column. And because I had a networking background from my previous company, he tapped me and said, you're the one, <laughs> uh, you can do it. And then he said, but part of that, I think he said is a requirement that you need to join Cedia. Uh, and at that, you know, I was in the IT business and I, in the enterprise IT, you don't know anything about Cedia. So that was my, first 15 year career. So I said, fine, I'm interested, but what is Cedia? And so he explained to me the group and what they were doing. And he, cause he also said, I'd like to teach some of the networking classes to the Cedia audience in the 2001, 2002 timeframe, because he felt very strongly that that knowledge was going to be necessary for our professional community. So that's how it all began. And, and he said, you know, you need to write networking columns and the things that you're doing now in your own business for the uh, residential audience. And I uh, hadn't really done that before, you know, writing wasn't my first profession, but it, what it focused me on was thinking of things as I was working on for a business 
uh, and it helped kind of even consolidate my own idea of where the industry was going, mm -hmm. um, what we should be concentrating on, and in writing about it helped give me that focus. So when products like Sonos and Kaleidoscape first came out in the 2004-05 frame, those were the beginning of AV products on the network platform. And I really enjoyed, you know, working on those products. And my mantra always was, I don't want to write about something that I just saw in a magazine or, or saw at a trade show. Yeah. I want to write about it from our own personal experience and, and from our own, from our own uh, working with the product. So that's always been kind of the core of the columns that I've written. And, and I thought that uh, I never would get kind of past the first couple of years either. I thought I ran out of ideas, but here it is 20 plus years later and still writing these columns and you know, I get a big kick out of it. Well, I, I'm obviously at a different magazine now and I, I didn't want to take you away from, from where you where, where you right. got started and you've been doing a great job continuing sure. with them. And uh, I do miss miss working together, but I, it's great to see you when, when things are back to normal and we're out in the world. Um, I think Je Jeff, Jeff may have had ulterior motives there as a as a very big fan of Cedia because we did not have the Cedia requirement at, for the columnist, but uh, yeah. we clearly supported Cedia and everything Cedia was about. And and Jeff Jeff's probably realized that and was kind of killing two birds with one stone, get a new member of the association and and make sure the the columnist really knows the 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 market that we're, that you're writing about. So that was that was a great fit. I think that's true. Yeah, it wasn't the requirement for writing, but he really wanted to strongly suggest that I become part of it. Yeah, and and I I did I did cross paths with you. I'm pretty sure at an early uh, Parks Association uh, Associates uh, Connections conference, perhaps at I think it was in San Francisco, if I remember right. Um, you presented right. there, and I don't know if that was before or after you were recruited, but it, but it, I at least knew who you were. Um, and and let let's I, I always like to kind of touch on. Uh, on that parks thing, oh, maybe I'll, I'll shed a little sure. more light because that actually was the birth of Cyberman or through through parks. Oh. Kind of plug another partner in the industry. I had no idea what you know the connected home was all about. I'd spent all my previous career in the enterprise and the corporate space. So then I saw uh, Elizabeth and Trisha Parks were doing this conference in Vancouver called Connected Home or, or Connections. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, this is my best, this is a good chance to kind of learn about it. And I flew up to Vancouver and it was mostly, you know, a conference about uh, internet service providers and telecom kind of high end, but it really gave me some ideas of what was happening, at least in the IT space in the home. And that's really where I met Cisco and Cisco, when they saw what I was doing with low voltage in the home and connecting PCs and printers and, and switches in the home for our own family in 99, 2000, they wanted to, they came to our house and did a $100,000 10 minute video spot of the connected home that we had built in our own house. And uh, so through that and through that publicity and visibility, through connections and then through Cisco, and then that led me of course to, to Jeff Hoover is really the birth of Cybermanor. Cybermanor was a local area network integrator for the home in the first several years. And there was no AV connection until later. Okay, control. all right. That, that, that pulls those two together really well. I had no idea. Uh, um, before, yeah. before you did get into, uh, it, uh, I, I just wanted to backtrack to you. you. You have a mechanical engineering degree from Stanford, which that sounds pretty impressive to me. Stanford's a great school and mechanical engineering. Is, well, I, I have a lot of mechanical engineer family members, so I've learned to speak that language. You, you, you do pretty well with words, uh, for a mechanical engineer. Um, 
you, you're, you're much more succinct than a lot of folks that I talk to in that space. But uh, and then impressively as well, you have an MBA in finance from UCLA. Um, that seems like a totally different part of the brain. Is that uh, something that was what was the point of the, the finance thing? Business? Trying to go into business? Um, yeah, you know, so thinking back to a couple, at least a couple decades ago, three decades ago. Now, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and I got out of Stanford with my ME degree. My father was an engineer. Okay. You know, I always kind of had more of an aptitude for analytical things than, than, than uh, subjective items. So I never kind of did much in the writing and the creative art space. Sure. Uh, so I went to work for Westinghouse in their solar energy group back in the late 70s, early 80s. Solar was a very hot topic. Oil prices had recently quadrupled. And I was recruited by Westinghouse to be part of their solar energy group in the Washington, D.C. area. So a combination of having done solar at Stanford, a new field, working on the East Coast, and always been living and working on the West Coast, all sounded very intriguing. Mm. So I did that for a couple of years with Westinghouse, and it was Fascinating to be part of that solar initiative back then. Uh, this was back when they were mostly copper-based solar solutions, uh, just the beginning of photovoltaics. Um, so I did that for a couple years, a little over two years, and then I realized, you know, long-term when you look at what an engineering path is versus other career paths, I didn't see myself just doing engineering equations and an engineering design uh, for the long-term. So typically, and you kind of see your kind of career and salary path kind of level out fairly soon. Mm. So I'd always had an interest also in business and doing something potentially entrepreneurial. Uh, so having gone to Stanford as an undergrad, I thought, you know, try Southern California. UCLA had a good reputation for a business school. So in 81, uh, actually, yeah, so in 81, I went back there for a two-year MBA degree in finance because, again, I kind of more of an aptitude for numbers than anything okay. else. Um, and it's actually where I met my future wife. So that was also <laughs> a good, uh, good move. Uh, and then graduated and went to AMD, uh, advanced micro devices. Mm. I knew back in the early eighties, uh, that I wanted to find some career in Silicon Valley, you know, Silicon Valley at that time was really the birthplace of Rome and AMD and, uh, a lot of things were going on. Nothing, of course, like it is today, right. but Apple was there. And so I just felt there was a future for uh, business in Silicon Valley. And even though I didn't necessarily want to work for a big business like AMD, at least to get me a foot in the door. And my first uh, effort there was really to work on a lot of projects as they related to VisiCalc back then on the first IBM PC. And that's how we did spreadsheets. Mm. And I was much more fascinated by the IBM PC which was introduced in the 81, 82, 83 timeframe than I was in the actual financial analysis. <laughs> so that kind of gave birth to my interest in IT okay. and it was first, you know, PC related uh, work and then network related work. And that's, that was really a springboard to start my previous company, the Cyber Manor, which was essentially uh, an IT consultant integrator for uh, the enterprise for corporate America in the South Bay. Wow. So that's what we did and it grew to about 80 people and some 40 million in revenue over 15 years. And, and then we're purchased by a national uh, integrator in the late 90s. And that's when I said, what else, what am I going to do with my life now? And uh, all my kids were, you know, in school and we were going from an AOL dial up modem to an always on 
cable modem and I said I could set up a little network so you can get all get on the network at the same time and chat with your buddies mm-hmm. and do your homework and they uh, they loved that and so I did it and I said well that's kind of neat that I could do it that for them and then all my neighbors said can you do that for our family <laughs> and so that planner was born okay all right that's an interesting little uh, origin story for you then yeah. I was curious yeah. how that leap took place and but you were at, you were yeah, in office spaces setting up computers and networks and all of that fun stuff, making sure everybody can print to a printer and the early days of PCs, it sounds like. And, and then, then this big company buys you that, that, uh, it must've been doing it right for, for the years you were running the IT business, if they saw the value in your company. Yeah. You know, it's like many of these things, it was, uh, just fortuitous was the, it was just about the right timing. This was in 97, 98, just before the dot com crash and there was a sense that uh ourselves as a fairly large regional it integrator combined with a number of other regional integrators around the united states would form a really good national company of integration mm. and so this third party and an investment banking house were the catalyst oh, for that. I see. and to be honest they thought you know they, there was a roll-up and they would bring us all together with an ipo but the plan for the IPO kind of fell squarely in the dot-com crash and it never materialized. And unfortunately for that company and the people that uh, wired us, it didn't work well at all, but um, mm. it did give us at least an exit and it gave me a chance to think of something else to do. And that's how it transpired. And so what were those early projects like for you uh, with Cyber Manor after you really started to embrace what kind of became the smart home, I guess, uh, wasn't probably called that yet. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, uh, you know, as I said, I was doing initially, I was configuring some routers so that we could share IP addresses across a number of, you know, basically PC or Mac devices or printers or hard drives and all. And I was doing that for ourselves. Wireless was just kind of in its infancy mm-hmm. back then. Um, so you still have to run kind of low voltage wire to do that and terminate it. So I did that and I did that for a couple of clients and I crawled through enough attics and under enough floors that I said, you know, I don't really want to do this myself all the time, but I got a taste of what it was like in hot summer days. And so I partnered with another guy who was really had, had a lot of low voltage experience and didn't know as much about the IT side, but certainly could pull low voltage, trim it out. And if I gave him direction and, and specs on where to go, he could do it. And as Cyber Manor grew, I had a number of clients that were interested in doing that. And uh, that then became a whole house uh, low voltage wiring job. And then, of course, you've got speaker wiring and control wiring and all the rest that I knew less about. He knew more about that. So he had more of an AV and low voltage experience than I had data. So really, we ended up partnering together for the first 10 years of Cyber Manor's existence, okay. a company called Silicon Valley Installation Company. And uh, that was very productive. The other partnership I had was with a lot of the AV companies in our area who were being asked for some of this data expertise, but couldn't provide it. Mm-hmm. So, so they were doing the high-end plasma screens and the whole house audio systems. And interestingly enough, you know, they were doing these six figure jobs and my portion was like five or 6,000. <laughs> and yet ours was critical to the success of, sure. the, of the home, the internet access. And so, you know, maybe if I learn a little bit more about the AV side <laughs> of things, we could a lot more lucrative, a larger slice of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, that's how it worked. And so we worked initially with the Navy guys. And then, of course, we went from uh, partners to competitors. Ah. 
then uh, we kind of exclusively just work with Matt and his group at Silicon Valley Installation for the first 10 years uh, to have that kind of partnership. And then we kind of went our own ways because I had that expertise in-house and he had IT expertise. So then Cyber Manor was kind of independent. That's when we moved into our new building in Los Gatos. Oh, okay, gotcha. Last 10 years. Yeah. Well, I one of the things I thought was always so refreshing about your columns was that you, you did always sort of maintain that uh, outside perspective from coming from the IT space and not having just been an entertainment technologies focused person from the get-go, like a lot of the folks that, that we know in our Cedia channel. Um, you, you, uh, you talked about what I would say was the internet of things before it was even a term. You, you were always embracing these, these gadgets that you had very well vetted before you talked about them, as you said earlier in the, our conversation here, that you wouldn't at all write about something until you'd experienced it yourself. Um, as you continue on, right. there's so still so many new products that come along. What is that vetting process like for you as an integrator for your clients? And as you want to write about something, what kind of paces do you need to put something through before you feel comfortable with it? So um, let me just give maybe I'll back up you a historical perspective okay. on that vetting process because it's I think informative to understand how that's evolved okay. over the, the decades. Sure. I remember in the, you know, 2003, four, five, six, seven period, um, the vetting for what we were looking at, what I'd like to write about was pretty much as simple as did the product move from a communications platform from IR to RS-232 and the Ethernet. So you think the earlier days, um, it pretty much everything we communicated on the AV side was IR or RS-232. Right. Uh, a company called Global Cash came along and realized that we could bridge those typical communication paths to AV products, then we could at least get them on the IP backbone mm -hmm. and companies like Premise or Microsoft and others that were beginning or control forward to, to work off that IP backbone could start talking to those things more directly. So that really governed my vetting process. I remember going to CD and CES and spinning the, a lot of these products around to the back and seeing, did they have an RG45 jack on right. the back? You know, was it really ready? to be connected to the LAN or did I have to do something to dongle it to, uh, to make that connectivity? So the first, you know, mainstream products in that space, as I mentioned, were Sonos mm -hmm. for whole house audio, Kaleidoscape for whole house movies and video, products like Control 4 in the IP control space for the home. So, uh, yeah, in those early days, the vetting and the writing, those were the ones that resonated most clearly with what I was trying to okay. do. And it's always been the vision from day one that my vision of the connected home was really going to be a connected home across an IP backbone. So, so always the vetting was let's look at any given product category, whether it's in lighting or cameras or audio or video or, you know, you name it, and then determine what we think is the best high end in terms of both quality, technical support, product features, reliability, those kind of things. Um, and so in the beginning, it really, if you had an RJ45 port, you already had shoulders above the rest of the people probably in your product category. Right. So that's the way it, it held true for you know most of the first decade of the 2000s. Fast forward to today, you know, I, I'll give you a good example. When we, we, we felt strongly that the front door station was primed for being an intelligent place in the home because it was just very clear that a, a dumb doorbell could do so much mm. more in an era when you had people, a lot of people had iPhones in their pockets and you said, you know, 
why can't this notification actually be audio to an iPhone or audio to a screen? Why can't you see who they are both locally and remotely? Uh, why could you potentially let them in if we just had more intelligence at that front door point and done in an elegant way? And so I remember the first kind of Eureka Park companies doing that kind of stuff uh, and talking to them and, and looking at their solutions. And a lot of these were you know, kind of Kickstarter-based companies, so it's hard to hang your hat on right. them. But in the earliest days, there was a company called Mobotics out of Germany that did that. And they've been doing it kind of in the commercial space of large apartment dwellings. They did it really well. They did the hardware extremely well. The software was a little bit primitive. Mm -hmm. took a lot of engineering, but at least it was a solution. And so that became a partner of ours to provide intelligent front door access control. This is before Ring. Um, okay. So we did a number of those implementations. And, and that was primarily because they met that need. Um, and we found a way for clients that said, yeah, we want some intelligence at the front door and it was an extractive product, it still cost two or $3,000, but for our CD audience or for our customer integrator audience, that was, that was fine. Yeah. Um, so that's what we did. And, uh, now today and I picked that as an example, there's probably 20 plus intelligent front door solution alternatives. And what typically then happens is. You, know, you get a lot of these and then it kind of stratifies between a lot of DIY tech products mm -hmm. and you get the higher end CVO products, the custom products. Right. So the way I vet and talk about products is typically to look for which are the ones that have support for the control for Savants, Salons, Crestrods. Those are typically the companies that have opened up their APIs and understand their product is part of our channel. Right. And so those are increasingly the ones that now I begin to look for. And so that kind of governs the 2020s and beyond is which platforms in all spaces, whether it's irrigation, kitchen, bath, energy management, have uh, API infrastructures and are willing to support the control platforms that we support in the house to make for an integrated total home experience. Right. And because you're in the Silicon Valley area, do you tend to have more uh, tech savvy clients or does it, does it vary and not really, you can't really categorize all clients the same? Um, you know, I haven't worked that long and I haven't really worked at other parts of the country, but I don't know if I can answer it specifically that way. Before. Well, I mean, do you, do you find that they are relatively tech savvy, the ones you work with? There are a number that are um, very tech savvy. Uh, to the point that they're writing their own operating system for and control system for their home <laughs> on, on one extreme. Uh, to the other, a number of them are venture capital uh, clients sure. of ours, so they actually uh, expose us to some products that are in their uh, funding pipeline that they think we might be interested in and exploring. So we get some background and great information from some of our clients in that perspective. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a combination of uh, that we do have a lot of bright clients that that technology is already that is their life so they're very receptive to it but keep in mind you know we're putting technology in a home with a family mm -hmm. so just because the husband or wife is technology very literate this has to be something accessible and easy to all members of the family and usually the kids are pretty good about it these days but one of the spouses may or may not yeah. be so you know you really have to find that denominator that works across everybody and that works for everybody. Um, but yeah, it is at least, I think there's an understanding today, at least in Silicon Valley, that you just do not have a fully equipped home, new or remodel, unless you have a 
broadband switched infrastructure platform to support not only your data wireless needs but your audio video control needs it's just the way you live these days. right and are you finding that there um it depends on the markets but where you are are you still seeing new construction or are you doing a lot of retrofit because of the existing home base there um, now we still see a lot of new construction. Uh, now keep in mind, this isn't new construction tip in a production sense. No. This is all custom luxury home new construction. Sure. You know, the, when the Nasdaq is whatever it is, thirteen thousand, and the the Dow is thirty one thousand, and we have, you know, Apple and LinkedIn and Pinterest and Airbnb and Google, and I can go on and on. And the wealth that those companies have established to a lot of people who live here locally there's an ability uh, and a desire to build their dream house. And so what we see is a lot, while there isn't a lot of uh, open yeah. land, <laughs> amazing number of homes are getting t t torn down to build their dream that's house. That's what I figured and, if you had new builds. Yeah, of course, yeah, a lot of new builds. And that's, of course, that's the easiest for us because then we have a brand clean slate to work for from. Sure. We don't have to shoot for something in an existing home. And uh, are you... Um... How how things changed since COVID for you? Uh, I read where you were talking about being in a demographic where you needed to be very careful personally. So obviously everyone went remote. Then we had the essential worker opportunity for our industry. So what what was the change like for you in Northern California, where California's been kind of in the middle of it all from the pretty much the beginning? Um, how how have things changed for you over the past year? Um, well, uh, like for everybody, a lot of changes. Uh, I mean, on the positive note, uh, what we do is considered essential and at a bare minimum, because everybody's working from home, they have to have a robust network to, to work from home. Yeah. So at a bare minimum, the products that we provide in that space and then also entertainment become more than just nice to have. They're critical to have. So that's been a benefit that, uh, unlike a lot of other industry sectors, this is something people clamor to have. But the challenge, the greatest challenge has been um, the tremendous uncertainty through this last year on a number of fronts. Uh, uncertainty in terms of the health of our own employees and when anybody was even a little bit not feeling well, having to stay yeah. home and, and the difficulty that set up for scheduling. And certainly from our clients, some who would be willing to have us come in their house, some who wouldn't, and then different conditions under which we could work in. That was challenging. The challenges of supplies and getting the products in when we need them. So, you know, it was much more of a roller coaster and much more difficult to run a business across all those variables during this period of time. And some of that, you know, has definitely been settling out. So it's not so much that the demand was not there and the demand was great. In fact, you could almost say that it exacerbated mm -hmm. the challenge. The demand was, was so great against resources that were challenged and constrained that it made for difficult and a stressful period of time, to be honest. Um, and as I said, we're kind of working our way through some of that, but we're not all the way clear yet. Uh, but we all work hard every day to to do the best we can. Well, we'll continue our conversation with Cyber Manor's Gordon Van Zyden after a short break. This is our moment to see more possibilities than ever before. To expand our thinking, our capabilities, and our vision. 
to leverage the unique strengths of two innovative companies to create new opportunities for you, our valued customers and partners, to build confidence and loyalty with consumers and become the number one intelligent lighting and smart home company in the world. This is our moment to make an impact. As significant as this, this is our moment to shine. Welcome back. I'm talking with Gordon Van Zyden, founder of Cyber Manor in Los Gatos, California. Um, Gordon, one of the things that uh, I, I read or listened to you say was talking about the concept for the Cyber Manor smart home and the goal of providing a Tesla-like Tesla experience. Um, this was primarily built around your new home technology showroom. That's the freestanding home structure behind your office. I've, I've had you write about that or have written about it. And I, I know a bit about the space, but there's just so much changing and added to that, that I, I wanted to kind of walk through the home virtually. And in our show notes, we'll, we'll provide a, a virtual tour link that you have, which will be really cool for people to look at on their own time. But how is the space um, in a broad sense different than uh, maybe a typical showroom at a, an AV integration company? So um, this has been, as you alluded to, this has been kind of a, a project of ours. We've actually been working on it for the last four years. It just opened kind of as the time COVID shut us down, but uh, opened about March, April of last year. But it was really a dream of mine from almost the very beginning when we started the company that if we were going to really showcase all of what technology can do in the home, what better way than not just do it in a vignette form, which is just the media room or just a, an outdoor location, but it was truly a home. It was, it was a home in every sense of the word in which we could showcase technology, you know, from the outside and the door station to the skylights, to the irrigation, to kitchen and bath. And, and so it was always my vision that, you know, this is a home of hundreds of IP devices, best of breed, in all these places. Um, and the best way to show that in an integrated format that was very realistic was make it a home. Um, and so to answer your question, how it's different when I've traveled around the country and looked at other uh, integrators and their displays and their showrooms, most of them aren't commercial buildings where they've kind of vignettes or different sections of cordon off. And so you're walking into kind of glass doors that are part of a commercial building, but it's not really a residential space. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really, big. we have a garage and I have a water heater and I have HVAC and I have showering equipment. So I have all these things that are part and parcel of any normal house. Even the Tesla that you mentioned, I'll come back to that a little bit because energy management, solar, batteries, uh, apps, control, they're all woven together, control inside the home, control from an automobile remotely and arriving at the home, your GPS. So you can't really separate these solutions into little small spaces because they overlap and so that overlapping and understanding and how we can have unified control in all spaces was really critical and that's that's really what we show and i think the home does a really good job of is we recognize that at the end of the day for all clients simplicity and ease of use of these complex projects is the number one goal and so that's the answer to simplicity 
is different for different people in different scenarios. So sometimes that's a keypad, sometimes it's the universal remote, sometimes it's a touch screen, sometimes that's voice. And so we have the ability to layer all those methods of control for the given rooms in this home and let people understand and allow it to resonate with what makes the most sense for them. And, uh, and in all of those areas, especially, well, especially in the voice area, there's many developments. It's, that's the most recent kind of form of interface. Mm -hmm. And so the other big part of the host is not just that we could show what we do today, but as we keep adding voice embellishments through Josh and through other potential third party products, what are some new things that we could do that, that add value to the house? So it's been really, it's been successful even during this COVID year. We've done a number of virtual tours. We've had Sonin as a partner support. It's pretty cool to do a virtual tour with Sonin and, and show people uh, during the virtual tour, we're going to emulate a power outage in our mm -hmm. house right now. And we can emulate that because we throw the circuit breaker switch on the main office platform that provides all the power to the showroom. And I'm in the house and I, and I have somebody else throw that switch and the lights don't blink mm -hmm. an eye. The music doesn't blink an eye. We just go over to a control four panel and say, look, the house just went from on the grid to the Sonin battery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's it's really illustrative because people can relate. Okay, now I understand the concept of a battery. It's much Sure. Matters. So all those things uh, have been a, a big part of, of what we did. And, and the other is just it's been great for vendor relationships. We've been able to really enjoy some new relationships with Kohler, with Bosch and Thermador, uh, with LG and some short throw projection we're doing there, and SI with some short throw projection. So because we have this kind of environment, They've been very generous to us to help showcase those products. For, for yeah, you've mentioned some of the things that really stood out to me that I wanted to talk about a little more in depth. So we'll, we'll maybe we'll just circle back to the solar. Um, you, you, right. you had a really good ex explanation in one of your columns about, or, or maybe it was an interview that I, read, I watched where you um, talked about how solar can be um, uh, maximized for where you are so that when the rates are the highest, you switch to... Um, right. solar, uh, drawing directly from the panels on top of the house. And then you, uh, you can save into the battery for when you need them at night. Uh, so you're basically reducing right. your, your need for the grid. Um, you right. can probably say it better than I can just sort of summarize there. If you can maybe explain that a little bit more. Um, they, I think that really would help people understand how you integrate the solar panels with this, Sonin um, battery system and all the other parts that can connect together on control, the control system. Sure. Um, you know, the way I look at it is, again, this is kind of a, a direction I think that our industry is moving. You know, we've gotten now in the last 10, 15, 20 years, very proficient at what I call home automation. We're really good with the Crestron and Savants and Control 4s, integrate all these products, touchscreen, voice to automate entertainment and video and security but the next iter the next two big iterations i think are in the energy space energy management and then we'll talk about the healthy living space potentially as well but energy management when we have products like sona that are open to work with something like control four um, then the value of solar and batteries is not just in the fact that you provide all these btus of intake through the panel and, and you can store them through the battery but the real value, like all these products, is the software intelligence we can apply to their mm -hmm. usage. So, you know, specifically said in the batteries case, if the home is using 45 cents a kilowatt hour power in the middle of the day, 
because it was cloudy and we couldn't get enough energy in the battery. So therefore, no choice but to go off the grid. But if we applied some intelligence like Ratio does in terms of using an irrigation system or not because of mm -hmm. rain, but if we use cloudy day intelligence to the battery and say, listen, we know the next two or three days are going to be cloudy. Therefore, at midnight at off peak rates, let's fully charge this thing because we know full well that when the consumption hits again in the late afternoon, that we're going to need that power. And so you can do these intelligent things, store it off peak, use during off on peak. You know, that's one example uh, that doesn't require so much control for it's just some some uh, cloudy sky software front ends. But the way the control four comes in is. And this is the part where I think energy management and home automation marry very well is we have an intelligent Heiku fan in there controlled by control four. We have intelligent VLUX skylights in the house controlled by control four. So we actually set up a conditional statement that says if it's 78 degrees in the home, don't turn the Ecobee thermostat on to turn on the air conditioning, open up the smart VLUX skylights, turn on the Heiku fan and let's get some uh, con convective cooling mm. uh, in the house before we start doing the actual expensive I squared R, you know, electrical heating in the house. And, and that's where you can start really doing some interesting things where you say, okay, let's conserve electricity because control four in this case knows the state and status of our home. Right. And let's not have these things going. Let's say even home and away modes. Uh, away mode can mean lower the watt, lower the temperature of the water heater in the garage lower and maybe increase the temperature of the refrigerator make sure that you know we don't have other things that are on when we're when we're away and all of that just adds value to the life of the battery uh, reduces our overall life cycle cost of electricity and it's just it's good for the planet good for the environment so it, and it all comes back to software and leveraging this open architecture across devices to be able to do those things right obviously where you are you have a very a much more moderate climate so you can do different things like that which maybe not as easy to do in a more humid environment where maybe the outside air isn't going to be that useful all the time or a very cold environment obviously too but yeah. but it but it is a great proof of concept and and the way that you can make that take out the complications for the homeowner is key because that that sounds so cool but it, there's a lot of intelligence behind what you just described obviously right. that the average homeowner doesn't want to fool yeah. with. Um, right. What about, um, I want to talk about the healthy home, but you'd mentioned this, the kitchen appliances, and we've been trying right. to talk about smart kitchen forever. It's finally starting to kind of happen. What are these uh, appliances doing that make them smart in the kitchen? So I'll give you a, a specific example there. Uh, and it, it certainly were in the earliest days of that. Yeah. Um, but we put in a Thermador coffee espresso machine, their high-end Wi-Fi connected device. And I call it the Sonos of coffee espresso machine. I'll explain why. Uh, when you think of Sonos, you think in kind of the early days, it was this great distribution of streaming content uh, from a limited number of resources. It's, uh, but as time has gone on, there's a tremendous number of resources. But its real value is not so much that you have local information and content for music but that it has the cloud yeah. so to the same extent this thermal coffee machine it has 10 local coffee making recipes that are coffee espresso uh, cappuccino and all these other ones but the reality is there's hundreds of coffee recipes around the world and in order to get those kind of unique recipes to your kitchen 
Uh, Thermidor has actually made this as part of their Coffee World Cloud. And you can go to the Coffee World Cloud and on any given day, I can download recipes from Austria, Germany, France, to, to deliver to that espresso machine the exact unique recipe that I want for a given coffee drinking experience. And so I say that this, this machine, as opposed to being a dumb espresso machine that will only do those certain recipes for the rest of its life, now is enriched by all these other options because it's cloud connected. Um, and that's, that's really a big part of what a lot of these devices benefit from is that they now can gain feature sets, intelligence, remote diagnostics, troubleshooting, uh, app-based control, voice-based control, because they have an intelligent backbone. So a lot of those things in the kitchen of that space are in the earliest stages, uh, but that's one example of one that's working right now. You know, uh, remote diagnostics, I think increasingly, you know, if you have a compressor, compressor failure in the refrigerator, it's not one where the serviceman has to come out and say, oh, you have a compressor. I don't have one on the truck. I'll come back again. Now they can remotely diagnose. That's the issue and, and solve it more quickly. So I think all of those kind of come together to make that space uh, more valuable. Uh, and really, at the end of the day, if you have a choice between a product that's not intelligent, so to speak, has no connectivity and one that does, why would you choose the one that does? Um, because you just know... And I keep going back to Sonus, you know, I came out in 2005, that same amplifier with about 50 software enhancements over the course of the next decade added so many feature mm -hmm. sets that you could never have dreamt of possible when you first right. bought it. So I think that may be the same analogy in the kitchen bath space that the Kohler digital shower that we now have or the towel bar, or the intelligent mirror, or the intelligent toilet. We're just seeing the beginning of the feature sets apply to that. But I think five, 10 years from now, you'll see much richer. Stuff. And so the intelligent faucets and things like that, is it just to set a specific temperature on those or it's hands-free um, triggering or what, what goes on there? Yeah. So that's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, it, that kind of moves us into the healthy living uh, discussion a little bit. But for instance, Kohler has their Sensei faucet, which uh, is hands-free. I can just move my hand underneath the the arm of the, the faucet dispenser part of it, and it turns it on, it turns it off. Uh, so if you think uh, they actually have their veil toilet we put in there, which also lifts the lid and does all your cleansing, so you could have a, a full bathroom experience without touching mm -hmm. anything. And so you have that, and you use Josh for voice, and it's an amazing number of things. You can walk around the house and never touch something to make things happen. Um, so that's appealing, obviously, in, in a touch-sensitive world, if you think we might get ill from right. that. Um, but because it's connected, it also has intelligence so that I can actually say to the Sensei faucet, while I'm working in the kitchen, my hands are busy doing stuff, pour two quarts of yeah. water. So pour two quarts of water or, or you know, um, as they recently did, is I wash my hands. And if it's wash my hands make sure it's COVID free. It'll make sure those faucets running for the 20 seconds or whatever, you sing happy birthday or whatever you can do. But uh, so, yeah, so, so that's in that space. And then in the, in the bathroom space, it's really intriguing. I think uh, we put in the Kohler DTV plus shower experience, and this is a shower that doesn't have a traditional hand valve to it. It's a digital controller valve, which means that I can then, set up by voice or by push button when I wake up in the morning to turn on the shower to the specific temperature that I like so that when I get to the bathroom, the shower is ready for me, the music is playing that I would like, the shades are up or down depending on what I would like, all kind of based through this 
control for it and voice uh, front end. And beyond that kind of convenience, uh, Kohler likes to say that because it's a multi-valve experience, that we move from a shower experience to what they call a hydrotherapy experience. Mm -hmm. And this really gets to the point of what's the home all about these days? And, the, and Charlie Kindle, I think, said this best in a presentation he gave at Expo a few years ago. Mostly we're right now in, in these high-end homes where we have lots of things connected, hundreds of, of items connected. And the next iteration of the home is one that's personalized and one that knows kind of what you would like and leverages your past experiences and those of your family to create the right temperature in the shower, to create the light, right lighting setting, to create the right music setting. Um, and that's the difference between shower and hydrotherapy. It's the right temperature and setting and feeling you get from this immersive water experience uh, that's personalized to you. Now, you know, that sounds kind of way out there, um, but at the end of the day, it's just one more way that your home feels comfortable because it works the way you like. It means you don't have to go to the shower and turn it on with your arm and turn the valve on and get hit by a 50 degree water spray before the shower is even on and then wait three or four minutes before it's to the right temperature. So, you know, that's, that's what I've been. And then again, we're in the beginning days of that, but you listen to Kohler and their CEO talk, yeah. uh, technology for companies like Kohler, Bosch and Thurman or GE, Samsung, in, the, in these appliance spaces is critical to their roadmap and their future. We just want to be part of that. Well, that touches on the healthy home. What other healthy home ingredients are, are in your uh, demo space there? You've, you've got some ventilation things for whether you, maybe right. you're cooking, you need to vent out the house a little bit. Right. Um, what, that, that's been an area. The healthy home's been an area. It's been fun to write about, but there haven't been that many applications right. actually in use yet. And you're, you're really proving the concept. So what are all the healthy home ingredients? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of parts to that. We actually, if you go to our website, we actually create kind of an ecosystem of products that I think we can, uh, on a brochure that contribute to that healthy home living, um, just as we did for kind of energy management living. But there's you know, many parts of it. I, you know, Julie Jacobson uh, did a great job when she was kind of promoting this this kind of biophilic and home healthy movement. Jim Hunter over at Dell's also does mm -hmm. that. And it's meant, it's like, again, many different components. So the one that is easiest for us to do right away is thinking about the entertainment space because, you know, we can create through our large digital screens and through our audio some very visually enhancing, healthy living kind of scenarios, whether it's, you know, the music that gets played or these wonderful outdoor visual experiences on our 4 and 8K screens. We could just create an, an outdoor atmosphere inside the house through our AV experience and expertise. Uh, but beyond that, um, and we do that in our in our home to show that. In fact, we even do that in a physical sense. We created a living wall of plants in our backyard. Then we actually we don't even call it the backyard. We call it our Zen mm -hmm. garden. Um, just again, because it's a really peaceful space that has a water fountain, has this living wall, has some really nice music, has some really nice lighting. So yes, it's entertainment, but it's also a place you can kind of retreat to for some quiet yeah. time. And we just want to promote that and promote the idea that backyards and outdoor living can be, you know, it's healthy living in many ways that we can enhance sure. it. So, um, so that's one way. And then the other is just air quality that you talked about a little earlier. So we've worked a little bit with Panasonic and their the Cosmos Home Healthy line, whereby uh, they have a front end sensor in the house. And when it detects poor air quality, 
it talks to the guest bathroom fan up in the ceiling and starts to exhaust the poor air, air through that fan. Uh, so that's the beginning of that. I'd love to see that they could maybe also talk to the Vlex skylights mm -hmm. and the Heiku fan in the ceiling so that you, you, the key there is that if you experience poor air quality, take, take action about it. And it's all done in the background where the customer doesn't need to know about it. It's just the, the air quality is always as good as it can mm -hmm. be. Uh, there's whole there's whole house air handlers that are doing that as well. And there's companies in that space, Panasonic and many others. So the fact that we have a full HVAC system uh, is one where we are going to look at adding an intelligent uh, uh, box in there so that it's talking to the air monitoring device and kind of seamlessly saying, okay, if there's bad air quality, we can start actually bringing in outdoor air and taking out the indoor air to improve that. Uh, all those things have merit and they're all kind of based on what I like to think. They're all based on the IP backbone. You know, we're talking wirelessly most likely to these devices. They're going to be app based. They're going to be automated. And they may be part of our control for control for infrastructure, but it's just one more thing we can talk about when we talk to a homeowner about how technology enhances their lives. Well, one of the things that is lost among all the technology that you wrote about uh, it, it related to your demo home is the uh, the hundred year old oak tree that's outside and how you've brought the elements yeah. of that into the materials in the house. And I just thought that was a beautiful piece of it that as technical people, we don't always think like the actual green space outside and bring it together. Right. So um it seemed i guess a natural opportunity because that tree is right there but uh how did all that come about and did you have an interior designer working with you or did it just occur to you like let's bring in elements of that tree somehow so th those are all uh, the big part it was first as you say we were we couldn't plant a hundred year old tree <laughs> right in front of our place it was happened to be right there and that was lucky and there's a little backstory in that i can tell you but uh so yeah, that was there and it just looked, it was just a very attractive front piece to the property. And I thought, you know, this two-story property and that kind of, a, you know, the kid in me says tree house, <laughs> you know, I love to feel like I'm upstairs and I'm part of the trees. So I said, yeah, if we put the right skylights and windows and we can actually put a, a skylight above the shower and the oak tree leaves are right above us, we can feel like we're up in the tree taking a shower. So that's what we did. <laughs> and above the... Uh, in the master bedroom, we have some skylights and it looks like you're right under the canopy of the oak tree. And before than that, we have intelligent lighting so that at night it uplights that part of the canopy of the, of the oak tree. And so you're lying back in bed, you have this wonderful lit up oak tree canopy that, that's above you. So that's all again about kind of bringing outdoor space that's attractive to the indoors and kind of blending those two together. Um, and we just had the fortune to have that environment on the outside. On the inside, we did have an interior designer, and it was really critical that when we built this home, we felt that, number one, it wasn't about the technology, even though that's our business and that's what we do. Number one is somebody had to walk in there and say, this is a really nice place, and they had to feel comfortable with it, because if they didn't feel comfortable, I could talk all day about the technology, they wouldn't want to be in that space. Right. So, you know, we put a lot of work into the, the hardwood up in the ceiling and the flooring, and the quartz countertops and just making try to make it look as elegant as the clients that we serve uh, and we had a, a, a young woman named Celia Boutel um, help us in that and so she was our interior designer because that's something I have no expertise in clueless in and so that was vital to the process and we we got had a great relationship from that
Have you had the opportunity? I know you said you really opened the the space in uh, right as COVID started. Have you had the opportunity to actually spend a night in the house? <laughs> Interesting. You should mention that. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, for a number of reasons, one, I wanted to kind of see and feel firsthand. You know, some of the things that we work on. Two, to troubleshoot, figure out what what's working, what is working. Uh, my several of my employees have spent some time there. One of my lead engineers, in fact, is there. The last two or three nights and he's done some amazing things in control four uh to make it even better than it was before so that's been really cool um and uh we're actually in the process because it was we so we still do showroom tours but not as many because of covid right now but i'm actually experimenting with uh airbnb and renting it out through airbnb wow. and we have it's been amazing the number of people are interested that want to stay there uh and my objective obviously a little bit of revenue, but to kind of get their feel, feedback and experience what it's like to have you know, motorized TVs and a TV behind the mirror and this hypertherapy color experience and voice control and shades and all that stuff. And you know, how'd you like it? What, what do you think? So, uh, so yeah, so it's definitely being used. Well, that, that's, that sounds great. I, I can't wait to, to come out and, and experience it in person. And like I said, we'll, we'll put, uh, a, a virtual tour on our show notes for everyone to check out. Gordon Van Zyden, thanks so much for joining uh, me today. I hope you have a great 2021. Jeremy, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you know, we've known each other uh, for decades in this industry and I have a lot of respect for what you've done in the magazine. It's one that I read religiously. Um, I'm not trying to do this just to promo you, but it really is an added value to what we do. And it's been an honor to Thanks so much. Gordon Van Zyden is the founder of Cyber Manor in Los Gatos, California. And you can learn more about his company at cybermanor.com. That wraps up today's show. Thanks to everyone for joining us. Be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And check out all the latest residential tech news at restechtoday.com. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Resident, 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 resident,